but he's also saying that I'm going to take your side of the covenant, Abram, and that if you do not obey me, then may these, what happens to these animals happen to you. But God is taking both sides. So he's saying, I, I am going to follow through. If I don't, then this is, what, this is what's going to happen to me. And when you don't follow through and obey me, I am going to die for you. Welcome back to the Bible Distilled. I am your host, Caleb Sprinkle. I got Jonathan Perez with me again. Third week in a row, Caleb. Week yeah. number three. This is a podcast all about the Bible. So what we're doing is we're going Genesis to Revelation to see how this is all one story of God's reconciliation of all things to himself. So we're in the 15th chapter today, but we also got some coffee yeah, we do. I it's think. Do you have delicious. any coffee over there? I do. Oh, okay. I do. I'm sipping on this little plastic cup. That's right. I'm, I did a mix today. I mixed um, the Alma coffee of last week with some counterculture. So wow. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Culturally blended. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, yeah, we're in a, we're in a really good story today. Um, Genesis 15. This is the second... Um, Second, like occurrence, I guess, of this covenant that God gives with Abram. We saw it in Genesis 12. Uh, we see it again in Genesis 15. Um, we see another one, like the sign of the covenant, Genesis 17. And then all along the way, God's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. All these things. So um, some really unique um, things that we want to bring out today. So we'll be, um, yeah, we'll just be covering the whole whole chapter. Just 15. Yeah. I can't wait. It looks it's a little challenging, but... Uh, yeah, you wrestled with this this week. <laughs> Caleb, let's just air my dirty laundry. I like, I, I got to be honest with you. Yes. To everyone listening out there, um, we are not... We haven't arrived yet. You know, we will never arrive. There is so much we're still learning. Specifically me. Um, so, yeah. The passage that we're going to be dealing with, one of the sections... Um, chapter 15 verse 6 I wrestled with it a lot um I thought I knew what it said I still believe what it says yeah but I had to wrestle with a lot of the just how it works and 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 we're talking about how a person is made righteous with God Mm -hmm. um and I believed I still believe what I believe right like please you know I didn't get saved um in the church building, you know, not yet, <laughs> but, um, no, I just wrestled with it. Um, yeah. also, right, man. also one thing for those, I know you guys can't see our little studio, but hopefully we'll put this on social media. We, we've been upgrading Caleb. Yep. Yeah. Cheaply. You know, we've been finding deals. Uh, cheaply. Yeah. Cheaply. Um, uh, but yeah, slowly. And yeah. Surely. Yeah. But one day, uh, We'll post what this little studio looks like and what it's hopefully going to become. Yeah, so. getting there, man. All right, so Genesis 15. Um, let's just walk through the text. Um, we'll spend a little bit on verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to really kind of dive in into the covenant, and there's some really cool things um, that are 
I think really important to get um, just to understand this like ancient Near Eastern understanding of like sacrifice and covenant and like how people made covenants together, how that's going to be important for how God makes a covenant with humanity, um, all of these things. But you had some cool things. Um, so it says, verse one, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your reward. Um, it will be very great. Um, yeah, what's the connection there? Yeah, so last week we were talking about Melchizedek, and we didn't really touch on this. I mean, we did a little bit, but basically Abram just fought, you know, these four kings, and mm-hmm. he's returning from war with all these spoils, right? Um, but the way the verse is structured, it says, um, Fear not, Abram, in verse 1, I am your shield. So, you know, it's, it should give us, um, you know, just a look back at, at chapter 14. Yeah. It's bad. That's battle language. Yeah. Yeah. It's battle language. Um, and Abram, you know, God's telling Abram, don't rely on anything man-made. I'm your shield. I'm your protection. I will protect you. And then, you know, with us looking at, okay, well, Abram came back with his spoils. God says, your reward shall be very great. Basically saying, I am your shield and I am your Mm -hmm. reward. You know, I um, am ultimately what you're looking for. I'm your very great reward. Yeah. Yeah. And Abram's going to be tested with that a lot over and over. Um, We've seen already just this back and forth, like imperfect follower. Um, Anybody else imperfect followers out there? (laughs) Please raise your hands. Yeah. Unless you're driving. Yeah. Man, Abram does get a lot of things right. He gets a lot of things really wrong. Um, as we'll see again next week. Um, but I think the beauty in this passage especially is, is that God, his just faithfulness with really broken humans, um, like Abram. Um, I, I found this really, really interesting. So JT English is the one who uh, pointed this out. So this is the first time actually that we have Abram talking back to God Really? Yeah. So the whole time it's been the Lord telling Abram, you know, do this, go here. Um, And it just simply says Abram went, he obeyed um, and so on and so on. But um, this is a time where now Abram is talking to God and the things that he's saying, it's, it's almost like he's pushing back a little bit. Um, Mm. So God is reminding him, like you said, I'm your shield. I am your reward. Um, and then he's, he's saying like, okay, like I, yeah, verse two, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring. So a Hmm. slave uh, born in my house will be my heir. Um, so we see this wrestle between Abram and God, this wrestle, even with this promise, um, of God. And it's fair because I mean, you know, he says, basically Abram's, how are you going to do this? I'm old, you know, it doesn't make sense. And so he's bringing up real concerns to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, one thing before we kind of trudge forward, yeah. Ben has this great saying of, you know, after obedience, there's always a blessing. 
Um, and the opposite of that is if you disobey, you know, I mean, hurt and pain and, you know, just the consequence of sin will, will come. But, yeah. um, <clears throat> but, um, what's interesting about this is, uh, one of the commentators that I was reading was saying that there's usually blessings after the trial of Abram. So God's making a promise to Abram in response to a trial or a crisis in his life. So when he had the crisis of leaving his family and his homeland, what does God do? God promises a new land and a new family. Mm -hmm. Lot departs, gets captured. God reinforces his promise. And then God leads and compensates and blesses all of the promises that he kept for for Abram. Mm. What's interesting about the verse, the verses Abram actually mentions the problem twice Hmm. so he mentions it once in verse two and then in verse three so he says in verse two you know what lord what can you give me since i don't have any children and who's going to inherit my estate is it going to be eliezer of damascus and then in verse three he says the same thing you've given me no children so a servant in my household uh will be my heir Mm -hmm. and so abram's bringing up the problem i mean it's it's a real problem. Like, hey, I don't have any kids. Who's going to who's gonna bring up, who's going to be my heir, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, remember the one guy um, that was related to him, right? Lot. Um, yeah, yeah he's, he sent him off. He's gone, yeah. And he sent him off twice. So the first time he let him go on his own, and then the second time um, in Genesis 14, the this is not explicitly said, but the king of Sodom asked for all the people back. Yeah, so like, and that would have included Lot. That would have included Lot. So, like, he is giving over again. Um, and that's fair because later we see Lot and mm-hmm. his family in Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, so he is um, he is really wrestling here around. I, You know, I think, so we'll see later that there's two... There's two types of uh, doubts here. There's Abram's doubt where he like he wants to believe, mm-hmm. right? And then we see with Sarah's doubt, hers is just out of like a complete hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's uh, Jen Wilkin brought that up. I thought that was so so good that there's there's two types of doubts really here. Um, Abram really he wants to believe. Like he yeah. he's 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 asking fair questions, um, and. I, and and well, sorry. Yeah, and, no, go ahead. But if it was unbelief, God would have punished him. One of the commentators I was reading. I mean, do you remember John the Baptist's father? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He yeah. he he does the same thing. He questions mm-hmm. the Lord. That's good. But he gets punished for it because his questions weren't pure. They weren't right. You know. Yeah, and so Abram, um, God God doesn't. Yeah, God doesn't deal like harshly with Abram. He could have. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think this is a real principle for us, even in like the things that we ask, like God is not like afraid of our questions, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Psalms are just riddled with lament and questions and wondering Habakkuk. Um, I I just read through Habakkuk and how he is just struggling with like God's plan of punishing Israel like Mm. he's gonna allow these like pagan nations to take over and he's like that just doesn't seem like you that doesn't seem like your character like why would you do this Job same thing like he's just wrestling with like 
who God is and, and but but I, I think what's similar in all of those is like there is this wrestle, there's this tension, and then there's this like revelation of God that only would have come through this like kind of suffering. Yeah. Because we're going to see God is going to show Abram a part of himself that Abram's never seen. Right. Um, and it blows his socks off. Yeah. Well, I don't think he had socks. Sandals. Sand- his, <laughs> the Jesus cruisers. Yeah. yeah. His Jordans. Yeah. His, his Air, Air Jerusalems. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, God doesn't. God doesn't run away from those questions. He reminds him again, verse four. Now the word of the Lord came to him. Uh, this one will not be your heir. Um, come outside and look and yeah. look at the sky. Count them if you're able to count them. I, I love a little bit. Of, it's like a little bit of sarcasm. sarcasm. There. Kind of the same thing he did with Job. Like, right, where were yeah. you when, the, when yeah. I laid the foundations of the earth? Uh, absolutely. Um, so if you're even able to count them, your offspring will be like this. And then here's the the golden ticket. Um, I'm gonna let you deal with deal oh. with this verse. <laughs> yeah. Um, Abram believed the Lord. Oh man, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Counted. Yeah. My summary now CSB credited counted. Um, Same words. Him, yeah. As, Same as righteousness. So. Um, yeah. Let me. I guess let me let me set the backdrop and then I'll let you I'll let you go. go there. So like this this is really kind of the like we yeah, we have to be able to work through this and, and have some sort of understanding of this because this is re- essentially what faith is, right? Yes. Like this is this is how humanity is made right with um, a holy God. And that's the question everyone's trying to answer. Mm-hmm. And- yeah, and in a sense, every religion, every philosophy, I mean, everything is trying to answer the question, how are we made right with God? Do I have to give up pleasures of the world to get closer to God? What do I have to do? Do I have to do these works? You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, just, you know, Buddhism, state of Nirvana, the five pillars of Islam. I mean, just different things, you know, do we, do we have to give sacraments? Like, how are we unholy unrighteous people made right with god yep and so you know to clarify like this is what i was wrestling with you know this yep. this past week just um you know i believed it before i still believe it but yeah i mean we'll, we'll go into it a little bit one thing i, I want to say before we move on is um in verse five when he brings them out into the to the night and he says, you know, look at the number of the stars if you're able to number them. So in the in the Middle East and the Near East, that like the sky apparently is extremely clear. I've never been, but with this is what I read. So in the daytime, the sun is so big and bright that it's almost blinding. So then it makes sense when Saul's conversion, you know, it, it says that there was a light that was almost as blinding and, and he thought it was just kind of like the radiance of the sun. Right. Mm. And so at night, the stars actually light up as well. And it, it, it almost feels like you can touch them, like you can grab them. Mm. And so when God brings them out, we have this, you know, beautiful illustration of look at, I mean, just the stars lit up like you and I, we live in, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, Fort Mill. Like we don't we don't get to see that many stars, yeah. And so for Abram, 
and for a Middle Eastern reader, you know, they would have been able to look up and, and just see, okay, wow, God is, God is not kidding around. That, that is a lot of stars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, you're avoiding it. Dive <laughs> in. Okay. How is one made Let's righteous? With <laughs> yeah. So this is, I'm not trying to avoid it. Okay. This is the first place where the Bible specifically talks about faith, righteousness, and justification. Um, I think before we kind of get into it, like, let me, let me set up some groundwork. Luther, Calvin, Thomas Watson, they all talk about why this doctrine of justification by faith alone is so important. You know, mm -hmm. they call it the hinge on which religion turns, the, the pillar of Christianity. Okay, so here's what I was wrestling with, okay? And um, there's this, this is a little quote that, that kind of helps me think about, okay? So I, I looked at faith as the means by which a person is saved. Mm-hmm. And one of the scholars that I was reading was basically talking about how that was wrong. Um, because, I mean, think about it. When we think about how a person is made right before God, God is the one, and we're, and we're going to look at, at it um, in this podcast, but God is the one who acts, and we, in a sense, don't do anything. Yeah. So when God declares me righteousness, he doesn't declare me righteous because he sees anything good in me. I mean, scripture talks about how there's there's none good, no, not even one. We can look back at Genesis 12. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it, when we're staying in the book of, of Genesis, you know, mm -hmm. God looked at humans. He was disappointed, all, all the evil thoughts of humans. Um, and so when God makes me right, it's not because of anything that I've done. Yeah. It's not because I stood out above the crowd. It's not because somehow, um, you know, I, I just worked hard enough and I was good enough. And God said, you know what, Jonathan, let me let me save you. Hmm. So if we take that logic, right, and we apply it to faith, that means that if there's no good in me, if there's nothing that I've done that that's been good, that means I don't have any faith, right? I don't have any faith that can save me. And so I used to believe, um, and I grew up in churches that basically taught this, was that if you have a little bit of faith, if you just have a little bit of faith, then the Lord will work with that. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, it's just contrary to Scripture. And so um, this is from one of the commentators I was reading, and I'm going to just read it because I don't want to mess it up. He says, one must consider the way faith is referred through out the rest of the Bible. It's never said that people are saved because of their faith, right? So it's saying it's not because you had a little bit of faith that God somehow saw something in you and decided to save you, right? Mm -hmm. Or on the basis of their faith. They are saved by faith, which means faith as a channel. So I was looking at it as faith as a means. So because I had faith, God saved me. But really what this passage is saying that... um Abram uh, believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. So what I was wrestling with um, was, okay, well, how, do, how, does, how does this work? Where does faith play a role in this? Mm -hmm. And um, basically what I came to the conclusion and what you guys helped me out, you and Ben helped me out, was faith is 
a channel. Faith is the car that drives. Yeah. It's not the means. So basically what that means is God has chosen to save me. That's an act of itself. He has he has imputed his righteousness on me. That's a that's a thing by itself. How I receive that is through faith. Yeah. It's not of faith. It's not because it's I receive that through faith. So if God did this one thing over here, he made me right. The way I receive that, the channel, you know, like water running through a pipe, that's faith. The way I receive it is I believe. But the Lord makes me believe. The Lord gives me the ability to believe. The Holy Spirit works inside of me. He opens up my stone heart. You know, he allows me to see. He softens my heart. My God God is the one who's doing all the work. Yeah. Um, and so when a person is justified, it's basically saying that this person is upright before whatever law and before whatever judge. And so that's basically what I was wrestling with, Caleb. I was wrestling with the fact that, you know, where does where does faith play a role in this? And basically I came to the conclusion that it's not the means by which I am saved. It's a channel. It's the tube, and that's how I receive it. So God saves us. Basically, to sum it all up, if you're confused, and I'm sorry, because I was confused this week. Um, basically, God saves me because he wants to save me. I receive that through faith. I do like I want to leave some room for mystery there as well like it's one of the most (laughs) confusing just doctrines Um, we can we can have a grasp on it but just the fact that a holy God would even want to sacrifice his son makes no sense Um, and and that's that was part of the wrestling like yeah why would God save me like you know I've wrestled with this before like why why would god want to save what have i done yeah you know yeah and I, I think that's what makes like jesus would talk about um if if you really are connected to the vine mm. talking about himself then you will bear fruit right so yeah. like this idea that if we really believe that we have that christ has done everything necessary to save us and we really like we just we understand that like I've I've tried everything, but like God is the only one that can satisfy my soul. Um, there should be just this overwhelming sense of joy, yeah, to want to simply obey and trust Him. And we we do like we see that with Abraham. I I, I love um, how Hebrews talks about faith. So Hebrews eleven one through two. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. Uh, by faith, uh, we understand. No, I'm sorry, I'm going on. But yeah, you should read that chapter. <laughs> so it's this, it's this like future. Yeah, I, I love this. Like it's like this future hope without seeing the future. It's yeah. like knowing that like I, I've been I've been set free from sin. I've been justified before a holy God. He will 
make me look like Jesus through the spirit. I, I, I like also Paul talks about like I, I work, like I go towards that, but it's not like qu- things that are qualifying me because I've already been qualified. Colossians talks about that. We have been qualified to do the works. So James would say it too. Like yeah. your faith, if you're not producing anything, like it's dead. Like you're, you're not, you don't have saving faith. Like do not merely listen to the word. Yeah. So Jesus, deceive yourself. Yeah. Do what it says. He yeah. says, and that, and that was controversial even in James' time. Right. Like, they thought James was spewing heresy. Like, <laughs> oh, I, I thought he's it was... contradicting saved. Paul yeah, in some I, way. But yeah, he's yeah, not. Yeah. He's yeah. saying if your faith isn't producing works, which it should... And, and, and I like what you said this weekend when you were trying to calm me down. <laughs> <laughs> there is no way. There is no way that if you have been saved, you cannot. Like, you have to produce fruit. Yeah. It, it, a lamp cannot be contained. Yeah. It's light will shine, you know, like right. if we are producing fruit, if we believe and we have been justified and made right with God, it's going to happen. It's going to happen no yeah, matter what. It's going to happen. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, this is, there's, there's so much more we could go here, but, but I do want to set up, um, I want to talk about this just really weird kind of covenant thing that's going on here. Um, so verse six, it, um, it, it is supposed to be read really as the backdrop to what is about to come, what God is going to do with, with Abraham. So, uh, Salheimer says this, like the, um, Abram was not like, oh, let me find that. Here's my, <laughs> here's my stalling, yeah, stalling. stalling week. Week two, the position of this verse before the covenant is important. The covenant did not make Abram righteous by his faith is what made him righteous. Only after he had been counted righteous, then Abram enters this covenant Hmm. um, with God. So um, I think what's important um, to, to note first, like with this covenant, this would not have been a weird thing to the like an ancient near eastern like they would have seen this like all this stuff that's like going on and been like oh yeah you're about to cut a covenant yeah yeah so like with the like i think we read it and we're like okay so he's like bring me this three-year-old cow this uh three-year-old goat this ram a turtle dove a young pigeon um, and now cut them in half and separate them and then there's these things about birds and abram drove them away and there's just like what is going on here right (laughs) this is just a weird thing but um the way that so the way that um covenants worked in the ancient near east so there's there's two parties um, and it's, it's, a, it's what, what it's called specifically is a suzerain and vassal uh, covenant. So a suzerain is like the greater power. Like I am, I'm greater than you. Um, I'm, I can offer you protection. I can offer you uh, safety, um, all of these things. And then the vassal is the other party where they would like, they, they weren't that. They, they needed the protection. They needed... Mm. Um, the help, um, they needed that power. So what they would do is the suzerain and the vassal would enter into this agreement together where 
the suzerain would say, okay, I will offer you my protection in a sense. Um, to demonstrate this, let's cut a covenant. And what's going to happen is as these animals are separated, it creates this like blood path. And now there's two ways I've heard this. And I think both of them um, make the same point. So I'll give both like examples. So the first way I've heard it is that the vassal is the only one that walks through the blood path. Cause basically that's saying, okay, um, I will offer you this protection, but you must obey me. You must not like, um, usurp me or, or come and take over or whatever. Um, and you're going to do that by symbolizing walking through this blood path. And if you break the covenant, then what has happened to these animals will happen to you. you. Ooh. But Scary. if you obey me, what has happened to these animals, I will do to your enemies. Oh. So the suzerain is saying, um, I, I will protect you. Your enemies will look like this or you're going to look like this. Wow. So that's the first way I've heard it. The second way is a little bit nuanced in that they both walk through it. So the suzerain and the vassal walk through it where the suzerain will, so like all the same thing previous um, with the vassal, but with the suzerain, he is, or they are saying, um, if I refuse to protect you or if I don't come on like my side of the bargain, then may what has happened to these animals happen to me. Hmm. Um, so e either way, um, but both of those, I've, I've seen both of those have, have happened like, you know, one party or both party walks through it. Um, but that's kind of the, that's the backdrop of, of what this like treaty is. Um, but there is this massive inversion that is done here um, with this specific covenant that God makes with Abram. Um, the biggest, the biggest thing is that <laughs> Abram goes to sleep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he like, he doesn't participate in this at all. Like he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't walk through the blood path. Who's the one that walks through the blood path? Who's the Lord? Yeah. So I think you, before I go on, you, I think you had a couple things like with the, some images that you wanted to like share. Yeah. Um, one of the first things like kind of want to talk about is, um, how God's covenants are set up. So, um, one of the commentators I was reading basically says there are three parts to God's covenant. First, they're unilateral. So what you're talking about, they're established by God and God alone. Mm -hmm. Second, they're eternal and irrevocable, which makes sense since God is eternal and he won't go back on his word. Yeah. And third, they're based on grace. So no person or individual deserves the covenant that God is, is making. Um, and so we see these two objects um, basically pass um, through the blood. Yeah. And they are a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And the smoking fire pot was basically, it was a small furnace used to purify metals. Mm -hmm. And so what God is basically saying is the way these metals are um, being purified is the same way I'm going to purify you. 
and then the second one was a torch. Um, and so this is a symbol of God's presence. So, you know, in scripture and John, uh, I think it's one five, it says that God is his light mm. and then in him, there's no darkness at all. Mm-hmm. And so God is often portrayed as light. You know, he's light on Mount Sinai, the glory, it like blinds, you know, the face of Moses. And then the people are like, cover yourself. Um, you know, I, I had talked about this before, but you know, he appears to light, um, to Paul on the road to Damascus mm-hmm. and, uh, light, you know, usually follows like divine angels or, or anything like that. Especially when we think about, um, the star, mm-hmm. uh, that the, that the wise men were following. So it was as if God was appearing to Abraham himself. Right. But like yeah. you said, God is the only one that's moving here. Yeah. So he, yeah, I mean, all, all of those images are going to be consistent um, throughout scripture as like God himself is here. Um, there'll be one connection at the end that I'll give to that is really, um, yeah, that, that was really cool to see. But um, yeah, so God, God himself, instead of Abe, <laughs> God is sloshing through um, this blood path. So looking at the way that these worked, God is essentially saying, okay, Abram, I'm going to, I'm going to walk both sides for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm clearly the suzerain here. I'm clearly yeah. the power. Um, but knowing that you will never be able to follow through on your agreement, I'm going to take both sides of the agreement. So I'm going to take my side of the agreement and saying that if I do not come through on my covenant promises to you, may this happen to me like these animals. Um, but he's also saying that I'm going to take your side of the covenant, Abram, and that if you do not obey me, then may these, what happens, these animals happen to you. But God is taking both sides. So he's saying, I, I am going to follow through. If I don't, then this is, what, this is what's going to happen to me. And when you don't follow through and obeying me, I am going to die for you. Mm. So God is putting his blood on the line here. Yeah, He's saying, when you don't obey me, I'm going to pay the price for it. That's the gospel. That's the right? gospel right there. So I love, um, I love what Ray Vonderlaan says here because um, there's a flashback to Genesis 13, verse 16. And I'll say, I'll read it where it says, And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. And Ray says this, when he walked, when God walked through the dust of the desert hmm. and the blood, God was making a promise for all of Abe's descendants and the household of faith. Wow. So all the descendants, like the dust of the earth and God is walking through the dust. I continue just a, a continuation of, I'm going to follow through on this. Hmm. Um, I am going to bring this world. I'm going to bring peace through the world and it's going to come through you. Um, and you're not going to be able to obey me. So I'm going to have to die for this. Wow. I mean, that's just, bro, that's the gospel. Yeah. Um, 
Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush evil, right? Um, just It's the setup of how from Abram's seed is going to come the rescuer. Right. Um, and, Ab- and Abram believed, and it was credited to right. his righteousness. Yeah, there will be this descendant who will be the blood sacrifice so that God and man can be united. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. And then wow. like he's Abraham has seen these ceremonies before. You know he has. Like right. he he's a he's an ancient Near Eastern, but he 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 sees something about God that he never like I mean he would never forget this, right? Yeah. That God himself is putting him himself on the line here for broken human humans. Humans. <laughs> humans like me. Um yeah, it's so good. And and Moses, so again, Moses is the author here, right? Mm-hmm. So he is um he's preparing this scene for the Israelites. Cause it, it is it's interesting how um in verse thirteen, then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for four hundred years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve and afterward they will go out with uh, many possessions. So God is like already foretelling what's going to happen to the Israelites. And again, Moses is telling them this story to the same group of people. So they would have been like, Oh man, this was us. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Um, And, And that's part of God's eternal covenant. I mean, look at the language he says to your offspring, I give, not I will give, not it's I give. Yeah. So it's it's showing, you know, God is God is not only eternal, but it's already done. It's already completed. Yeah. You know? And what, what was so what was so interesting to me is that, you know, the the parallels to this story with God's uh, covenant with the Israelites on Mount Sinai, it's hmm. It's it, there's so many. I mean, think about it. So we talked about this a little bit last week, but Genesis 14, uh, Melchizedek, this priest king that comes and blesses Abram, and then immediately after that is this sign or this covenant that is given uh, to Abram by God. Um, flash forward to Exodus 18, this priest king Jethro that comes to. Moses and then to, and blesses Moses and then Exodus 19 God enters in and he gives this covenant with the Israelites you right. talked about um, God seen as like this pillar of fire and smoke and then on the mountain of Mount Sinai it talks about this like just thunder and fire and smoke and just like the presence of God was here um, there's and then just even with this connection of um, Abraham's covenant with the Israelites, like just in the, the saying of like, um, there will be, there'll be like these aliens in this, in this oppressive nation and I will bring them out. Um, that's what he says to Abram. I am the Lord who brought you out. Mm-hmm. Verse seven, I brought you from Ur, the Chaldeans. I brought you from Babylon, this nation that, was in complete rebellion. Yeah. Right. And then he says to the Israelites, I am the Lord who brought you out, out of, of the land yeah. of Egypt. Yeah. Um, we're supposed to see it that way. Yeah. We're supposed to see 
this connection because it is all over scripture. Yeah. This is how God um, enters into just covenant relationship with people. Filled with so much grace. Right. I mean, like you you just read it. I, I took you out of the land of Ur. Yeah. I took you out of the land of Babylon. Yeah. You know, we talked about it, but Abram was an idolatrous man who worshiped mm-hmm. other gods. And so what, you know, what is God doing with, with this man? What is God doing with the idolatrous um, people of, of Israel? Yeah. You know, like he's, God doesn't, ha- and God shouldn't realistically, God shouldn't and doesn't have to make a covenant with an idolatrous group of people, but he does because mm-hmm. he, he's just demonstrating grace. Yeah. And, you know, all of, all of these themes that we've been studying just from the beginning of when we started this to now, like they all kind of converge in the story. Um, so this idea that, you know, God, I, I am the one who has brought you up out of the land. So he is our, he is a deliverer, right? He is, he is a deliverer. He is one who, um, is putting his blood on the line. He's a redeemer. Um, he's a, he's a rescuer. So Colossians one, 12, uh, through 14, it talks about how Jesus is the one who has delivered us from this domain of darkness. Mm. Same with Abram. I brought you out of this domain of darkness. Same with the Israelites. I brought you out of this domain of darkness, um, into this inheritance of light. So with Abram, your inheritance will be all of these descendants um, with the Israelites. Your inheritance will be this land. And then with, uh, with us, with the, with the church now, like your inheritance is where I am. Right. Where God, so like this, the, this idea of inheritance, um, priest King, right? We get the Melchizedek and then we get um, Jethro, right? And then Jesus talks about how, he is our great high, high priest. He is sovereign. He is king um, overall. So he is this greater uh, type um, who not only um, set up the sacrifice, but was the sacrifice, sacrifice. Yeah. Um, for us. So God, it's it, it, just it's who he is. He walks the blood path. He will be the sacrifice. Um, right. And Noah, he, um, you know, remember the rainbow. Uh, or the bow, uh, the bow was pointed towards himself. Like he is setting up time and time again that like, you won't be able to do this. So I'm going to aim my own wrath yeah. at myself. It's going to require sacrifice. He, te- he told Noah again, like it's going to now require blood um, f- to atone for your sin. Genesis three, it took this animal to a- to cover Adam and Eve just time and time again, man. Like, God is is setting up what it's going to take for us to be in right relationship um, with Him, and it's it's going to take His own His own blood. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, um, yeah. I think and the signs of the covenants that we'll see later in Genesis seventeen. With at first it was circumcision, right? Like it was this mm-hmm. demonstration that you are these set apart people. Um, and then the church with the church, it would be baptism, right? right. Like what I'm, you are now walking through these like chaotic waters we saw with Noah and out on the other side, 
Um, you are my people. Um, same with the Israelites. I brought you through the Red Sea. Other side, you are my people. Uh, the church, now I have delivered you from this domain of darkness. Now through baptism is the sign that you are now my people. You are the church. You are these priests. Yeah. You know, we talked about that last week. Like all of these themes, man, they're just like, they converge in this beautiful story of like, God is the rescuer. It took his life. And then on the other side, he is calling us into this invitation of now you are these priests and and these kids. It's just, bro, it's it's so good. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. So yeah, that's, um, that's Genesis 15. In a nutshell. Yeah. In a nutshell. Yeah. There's so much there, but do you have anything else? Um, not that I can think of. Um, no, no, not that I can think of. I think it just, honestly, like when you read this chapter, it's really easy to like fast forward or like try to speed read the covenant because we don't really understand what it means. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird if, you know, if we're being honest. Um, but I think when you slow down, take a look at it. And then, like you said, the backdrop um, of, you know, verse six, you know, where, where Abram believes the Lord and it's credited to him as righteousness. And then we get the covenant. It, you know, it just kind of starts to make sense. Yeah. You yeah, know? it does, man. Um, apart from really this story, um, we can't understand how we are made right with right. God. Um, yeah. So and this it, is the beginning of it. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, this is how, and like you said, Abram, what's he doing? He's asleep. He's yeah. not bringing anything to the table. He is out of the equation here. God did it himself. Yeah. yeah. Time and time again, God's faithfulness to broken humanity. Um, yeah. He just, he won't relent. Yeah. So that is, uh, yeah, that's Genesis 15. And we'll see how Abram just immediately obeys God next week. <laughs> that's with- sarcasm right there. <laughs> um, yeah. So Genesis 16 and 17, it's, it's a very, very hard uh, story to, to read, but we'll, uh, we'll dig into it. So, all right, that's it for this week. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>